0: I am really tempted just to get up here and move my lips and no sound came out. I believe there's music behind that, correct, uh, Brett? There, there is music. So. <laughs> I think it would have gotten maybe a desired reaction from everyone this morning. Well, several years ago, <clears throat> I participated in a very unique wedding. Part of the uniqueness came for the fact that the couple being married came from different cultures. The bride was Hispanic from Puerto Rico, and the husband was from Iraq. Well, I knew that on the evening of the rehearsal that we were in for an adventure when only the bride, groom, and f- ring bear showed up for the rehearsal. So the next day, we were ready to have the wedding. 30 minutes before the service was to begin, there was no bride present 15 minutes before the service was to begin there was no bride when it was time for everyone to start walking down the aisle no bride 15 minutes after the service was to have begun no bride 30 minutes later no bride finally after two hours the bride drove up onto the church lot Now, during that whole time, our organist, Edna was her name, beautiful, wonderful, saintly woman, just sat there at the organ and continued to play. I know probably uh, by the time that uh, uh, it was for, for the bride to come down the aisle, her fingers were probably cramping up on her, but she continued to play. Now, I never knew why it was so long in the bride arriving for that particular ceremony. But it certainly did create a great deal of suspense as to whether or not we would have a wedding, and it really did create tension as to whether people should continue to sit in the sanctuary waiting for the wedding to begin. Well, this stained glass story we're looking at this morning is about a wedding and about waiting for the arrival not of the bride but for the groom. It's a fascinating story that, quite honestly, is a bit strange for us because wedding customs of Jesus' day are different than ours. But I believe as we begin to look at this story, maybe it will give us something that will help us in our walk with Jesus. Now, this particular story of the ten bridesmaids is a story that is set in stained glass. It is a particular pane of stained glass that has along in that same frame two other stories that fit together. The first story is that of that you heard last week. If you happen to be here, if not, you can go back and look at the sermon about uh, about the the steward who was overseeing the house and whether that steward was wise and or unwise and and such. And then you have the story that follows about servants that are given money to invest. And what's fascinating about all these stories is who the audience is, the audience. You see, the audience that Jesus was referring to were people that knew something about the master, had some kind of connection to the groom. These were insiders. So these stained glass stories that we're listening to, that we listened to last week and we're listening to today, are really about people who... Have some level of relationship with Jesus Christ they are not outsiders, they are insiders and in each of these stories, <clears throat> there are contrasts drawn to demonstrate those who are faithful and those who are unfaithful in that relationship. Last week, we looked at the steward who who, who was one who was uh, not thoughtful and he was he was uh, unfaithful and and he was a considered a wicked person because uh, while the master was away, he, he didn't fulfill his responsibilities and he abused those he was responsible for. Today we find bridesmaids, wise who had plenty of oil and foolish who didn't have enough. And then the other story that's in this, pane of this, uh, s- this frame of glass are, is the story about a master going away and giving money to folks and then returns and the wise, the the faithful, the good and faithful servants invest and have a good return and then the lazy servant does nothing with the resources. And these stories clearly show us that being faithful, being thoughtful, being wise, being good as follows of Jesus Christ brings great reward that there is blessing in being so. But in contrast, there are dire dire consequences when followers of Christ act wickedly, foolishly, or are lazy. They miss out on things of the kingdom. Now, I think these three stories fly against what is a misguided and dangerous understanding among many about Christian faith. You see, many people see our relationship with Jesus Christ as almost exclusively an experience, that is, when one has this dramatic, emotional, spiritual encounter with God, a decision when one decides to follow Jesus, or a transaction where God offers forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Now understand that all three of these are important, and I'm not minimizing their importance, but many people see that as Christian faith. If you've had that experience, if you've made that decision, if you've had that and experienced that transaction, then you're it and and you got it. But these stories demonstrate that relationship with Jesus Christ is deeper. It's ongoing. It is to be sustained throughout our lives and existence. Now, let's get to the story of the bridesmaids. The story Jesus told about the bridesmaid, again, is different than, uh, than weddings we experience in our culture. You know, typical wedding in our culture is you have uh, the ceremony, the, the bride and groom come for, they uh, uh, get married, and then there's a reception that follows. and that reception may last uh, an hour, two hours, maybe even three hours, and then they fly away on their honeymoon. That wasn't the way it was in Jesus' day. Now, there was typically a ceremony, but in that ceremony, after all things had been done, then there was this week-long celebration where the bride and the groom essentially entertained all their guests for an extended period of time. Uh, Not exactly what we think of as a honeymoon in our particular culture, having all those guests around for that length of time, uh, but they would be around for a long period of time. And in this particular story that Jesus tells, he tells... What may have been a twist in the story, it may have been common, it may not have been common, we're not quite sure, but we find that the bridegroom plays a trick with the bridal party and those attending the ceremony. He doesn't come when he is expected to come. He doesn't come when he's expected to come. And then in this story, we have members of the bridal party. Bridesmaids were a part of the bridal party. They were to participate in the ceremony. They were, in this story, to be prepared to greet the groom when he would arrive. And because his arrival was at night, they were to have light so that they could be those that lit the way in this procession parade from the entry of town to the location of the ceremony, and they would lead the parade with their lights. Now, again, that's different. That's a little stranger than what we find our weddings, but that's what we find in this particular story. In this story, they were to lead the way to the wedding. Now, these ten bridesmaids, we find... There are five that are considered wise and five that are considered foolish. Now, that's convenient for us preachers because we've got five fingers on one hand and five fingers on another. When we get numbers like seven and nine and stuff like that, it's harder, you know, for us to figure that out. Five, five. They each were coming to the wedding dressed and ready and they came with their lamps each bridesmaid had their lamps now their lamps were these little vessels that would have a wick sticking out on one end and then there would on the other end there would be a little uh, hole where oil could be put in to fill that up and then the wick of course would draw the oil to keep the light lit on the end of that lamp so This is what happened. They all brought oil in their lamps, and their lamps were burning. But when the groom was late in arriving, human condition kicked in. They grew drowsy. Have you ever been sleepy? I'm not going to ask about that this morning because I know I'm at risk of maybe losing you if I do even ask the question. I'm not going to ask you to close your eyes. But sometimes our biological stuff kicks in and all ten bridesmaids fell asleep. But they awoke when in the middle of the night the announcement came, the bridegroom is coming, the groom is coming, the groom is coming, and they awoke. And so all ten bridesmaids began to trim their lamp. They would cut off the charred parts of the wick, and those who had oil poured more more oil into it, but the others, their lamps were empty. Their lamps were empty. And the ones who didn't have an extra flask of oil said to the others who did, give us some of your oil. But the ones who had oil says, we can't. We don't have enough. Go and buy some more and then come back. And while they were away, the groom came, arrived at the location of the ceremony. The five bridesmaids helped to to escort the party and the festival began and then the door was closed behind when the other five returned they knocked on the door and the usher responsible for the door said who's there and they said we're bridesmaids and he replied i'm sorry the service has begun you can't enter That's a strange story, isn't it? We ask lots of questions. We think, gosh, wasn't it really selfish of those five who had had some oil not to share some of their oil with the other five bridesmaids? And once this bit of they arrived at the wedding, why weren't they allowed to enter the wedding? Isn't that kind of cruel? Isn't that kind of cruel? So what's going on in this story? You just got to love stained glass stories because they raise these questions for us that just feel so strange and so different. And really to appreciate them, I mean, you've got to think and you've got to ask the Spirit to help guide you in in getting some understanding of these stories. So what's going on here? But one of the central themes of the story here is light and oil. Understand that light and oil are important, oftentimes used as metaphors, sometimes even they're used allegorically in Scripture. Very important in terms of our understanding. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said to those listening, he said, you are the light of the world. And then he went on to say, let your light shine so people can see your good works and glorify your God in heaven. You see, we have, as followers of Jesus, a clear calling to keep our lights burning for the sake of others seeing and encountering God. Now, one thing we've got to understand about the nature of light that we have, though, is that the light we have is not something we produce on our own. The light we have, this spiritual light that Jesus is talking about, the light of this parable is not something we produce on our own. It comes from an outside source. And the source of that light is Jesus, who the gospel writer in John claimed is the light of the world. And we can think of this light in this way. When you get to think of this light as reflecting Christ's light, that as a Christ follower, you reflect Christ's light in the world. Some of us have reflectors up on top of our heads more so than some of the others of you do. Or we can think of it as that he continues to give us our source of light and we let that light shine. We let our light shine. Now, many of you have been here for our Christmas Eve services. And you know that at the end of our Christmas Eve service, we have a ritual of lighting candles. When you come in, everyone is given a candle, and then at that point of the service, we light our candles. And when we do that, and this is very intentional, by the way. It's not something by accident, but it's something we do intentionally that tells a story. The pastors will go to the Advent Reef, And in the center of the Advent wreath, we have lit the Christ candle and we will light our candles. The pastors will, from that Christ candle, will then go and the ushers will come. They'll light their candles and then they'll go through the congregation and we will pass out the light. And that is a demonstration that the light that shines in us and through us is not of us but from Jesus Christ. He is the source of that light. Now, this weekend, Pastor Jack and I and a few others were with our confirmands over at Camp Lookout, and uh, the electricity had gone on, and we were without electricity until two hours before we were to leave yesterday. So it was a quite an interesting adventure. There was no electricity. We needed light. Fortunately, there were some flashlights and battery-powered lights. But, you know, for us to have light, and in Jesus' day, in order for there to be light, something had to be burning Some kind of fuel source had to be provided. And most typically, it was oil. It was oil made from olives, and that was the source of fuel so that a candle would burn. So a candle would burn. Oil is important. Oil is important. These candles here... uh, They're not wax candles, but they're actually plastic uh, devices. They're kind of an oil reservoir. And you can correct me if I'm describing this wrong. But there's a a wick that goes down into that reservoir of oil, and those wicks draw up that oil so that our candles will be kept burning. About every three weeks, we have to fill these candles with oil again, or they won't burn because the oil will be exhausted in your life the oil that fuels the fire has to be continually renewed and you have to be filled again and again and again often in the scripture this thing of oil this metaphor of oil this allegorical expression of oil refers to the holy spirit The Holy Spirit is this oil that fills our life, the source of fuel that keeps the light burning. Now, this story gives us an interesting aspect about that supply of fuel. It needs to be restored, and we need to keep it burning. It needs to be (coughs) refreshed and keep it going. You can't provide your own oil... It requires spirit. And an interesting aspect about this is you can't share the oil of the Spirit with anybody else. Now, someone else may see the light of Christ in your life, and they should see the light of Christ in your life. And you should let your light burn brightly, and you should live so that it will shine brightly. But you can't share the oil of the Spirit. That's something that only God can do, that God can provide in our lives. So for every believer... It's important, critical to keep the oil present in our lives and to live in such a way that there is this reserve of oil for special moments in our lives. Oil for our lives. The foolish didn't have enough oil. They were living a minimalist kind of existence with their oil. Now, you can't provide the oil. That's something God must do. But there is one thing that we can do that's critical in our living out of our Christian faith. We can create channels in our lives through which the oil can flow into us. In our tradition as United Methodists, we call this means of grace. Say that with me. Means of grace. Channels through which God's grace flows into our lives. There are exercises, practices that we do that create these channels. Here at Udwa Church, we emphasize eight of those. Now, I've got to count my fingers to be sure I've got up Eight. Ten was easy, but eight's a little bit more complex. But we talk about eight spiritual practices that we do. We corporate worship, praying, uh, participating in a small group, reading our scripture, serving in some area of ministry, giving generously, being people who are invitational and inviting people to participate in the life of Christ with us, and being people who reach out with loving acts of kindness missionally into our community and into the world. These eight exercises. There are more, but we emphasize these eight exercises. And it's not that these eight exercises, like you do one of them, you go to church five times and attend worship, and you get these credits, and you get uh, two ounces of oil put in your lamp. It doesn't work like that, no. These are channels that are created, and if we create them and maintain them in our life, God's blessing, God's grace, the Spirit, The oil flows into our lives. And the healthier we are, the better the reserve. Now, this story of the bridesmaids gives an interesting aspect about the ten. Something happened to all ten bridesmaids, the wise and the foolish. They all fell asleep. They all fell asleep. There are things that happen in our lives, whether we're living wisely or foolishly as followers of Jesus Christ, there are things that happen in our lives that zap us, that exhaust us, that take the energy from us. It can be the stress of a pandemic, it can be the death of a family member, it can be an illness, it can be a struggle that we go through, it can be a loss of job, and we could go on and enumerate those number of things things that take the life out of us and oftentimes during those experiences it's hard almost impossible for us to find that renewal that's needed and it's in those moments where the reserve oil that life lived in christ that faithfulness that spirit that's been at work within us becomes critical in our making it through there'll be moments in your life you'll find it hard to pray There'll be moments in your life that you'll find it difficult to worship. There'll be moments in your life that you'll open up this book and it won't make any sense to you at all. And it's in those moments when it's that reserve, when it's that life lived in faithfulness, that life lived wisely, where the reserve is there that the Spirit keeps the light burning. The Spirit keeps the light burning. In every church where I've served, there's been this list of inactive members, and sometimes the inactive members is much, maybe a third of all the members of the church. And while I know some of those members may not be coming because they've relocated or maybe uh, illness has struck their home and they're not able to come, most just dropped out. And I've thought here about my tenure at Udawah Church. If everybody who's been a part of this congregation from the time I began till today were still present and active in the life of this church, you wouldn't have a place to sit this morning. And it breaks my heart. And you see, some people live foolishly. Some people live foolishly in their relationship with God. They don't keep the oil flowing. They don't maintain these channels. Now, I tell you, it can be easy for me as a pastor to kind of get hung up in this area and on that negative side of the thing. But I want you to tell you, there are many people who are like the wise bridesmaids. They live out their lives faithfully, and the oil supply remains constant and abundant through the end. Today, if you happen to drive onto our campus from, on Relocation Way, from uh, beside a food city, when you just begin to drive onto our campus, you saw our church sign. And I know you probably didn't pause to look at it very long, but if you pause to look at that sign, you'll see down at the bottom, there's a plaque saying that that sign is dedicated to the memory of Ed Gleason. When I came to our church some 10 years ago, Ed and his wife Jenny were faithful members, pillars in this church. They were at that point in their mid-80s. And just a year before uh, I came as pastor... They had sold their home and they had relocated to Garden Plaza and were living in Garden Plaza. And they continued to remain active in the life of the church, giving, serving, leading, caring, loving. And there at Garden Plaza, they found that some of their neighbors couldn't go to church and so they began to be active to get them incorporated into the life of this church and it ended up starting a ministry where we had our bus going every week to garden plaza to pick up folks to bring them and it was ed and jenny who were the evangelists getting folks to come and man they let their light burn brightly one day i got a call and that call said Ed Gleason apparently has had a heart attack and he's at the hospital. I went over to the emergency room to pray with Ed and Jenny. He soon died after that. But I want you to know that Ed was one of the saints whose light burned brightly to the end. How about you? Are you living wisely? Are you living wisely? Is that reservoir of oil filled so that when you find those moments of crisis, those moments of difficult, those moments of taking the next step, that the light of Christ will continue to shine in your life. I pray that that's the case. Keep the channels of grace open. Keep the means of grace open. Develop those means of grace so that there'll be plenty of oil throughout your life. One of the great beauties of this table is that this table is a means of grace. Do you realize that when you come forward to receive communion that Jesus is present in the bread and in the cup? You are encountering the very God of very God when you come and receive. There is a thin place between heaven and earth at this table, and as you receive this meal, it is a means of grace. It is a place where the oil of the Spirit flows freely. And as you come forward this morning, I pray you open up your life and allow God to fill that reservoir in your life.